Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. And gentlemen, boys and girls, a welcome to Tales with TR, episode 128A. Glad to be with you again this week. And uh, really looking forward to my trip, my upcoming trip to Rapid City, South Dakota. I leave in the morning. I'm pretty excited about that, to be honest. And uh, been getting ready mentally and physically for the last few days. And not that I got to take a lot, um, but I'm really looking forward to it. And there are lots of sites. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I got a, quite a bit of feedback. A lot of people there who are into American history. Now, I had a few questions on Custer's Last Stand. So I think because I mentioned the name Crazy Horse. So I graduated my high school in Tri-Cities, Washington, Kennewick, Washington, going to, uh, what was the school? Uh, Kamiakan, K-A-M-I-A-K-A-N. The Kamiakan Braves. I wonder if that's still the name. Um, because we had, I mean, we would openly call it an Indian on our crest at the time. Now, I guess you would say indigenous, 
Braves, you know what I mean? It had the headdress on a warrior-like figure. Uh, anyway, so I had to take American history and American government in order to graduate. It was the only, it was the hardest part of my schooling experience because to be quite honest with you, I don't want to offend any Americans or any people from Washington State, but in my experience, Newfoundland, if you can believe it, a lot of people don't, but uh, we have a pretty, I don't know what you want to say, uh, organized or hard or, but I know that our school system, at least when I was coming through, there's no gimmies and it was like, but even when I went to Quinnell, BC, I found it was a lot of work I'd already done in Newfoundland. Then when I went to B, so I went to Quinnell, BC, grade nine and 10. And then, uh, you know, that was my junior years there. And I went to and graduated in Tri-Cities. So, and that was, yeah, most of the, I, got, I just got to be totally honest with you. So in my grade 12 year in Tri-Cities, now I had skipped a grade, so I was 16. But all of us went, and uh, to be honest, it was like the French social studies, English, like language arts, all of that stuff was pr probably on about a grade nine level for, for Canada when I went down there, except American history and American government, they'd been taking since grade seven and eight, and we had to kind of all learn it in one year. That was difficult, and... Uh, you know, there's. It's probably changed. I don't know. And I, I know that each each state has a different system. I'm not here to knock. Although I think I, I don't know. I do think when it comes to politics and elections and whatever and, and what's going on around you, I think it's good to kind of. I think education is a good thing, but I'm not. And who knows? Maybe it's questionable in the United States right now. I, I really don't know. I know every school system in most democracies there's someone's going to have a problem with something i think we're all canada and the united states for the most part seems fairly similar i'm just saying in my experience our school system in canada seemed to me to cover a lot more it, it was almost like first year university down there which i also did um you know and i'm not making that up in canada i found we learned a little bit more about the world in the united states well, I mean, I was living in Washington State, so I was about five hours from the Canadian border, that being British Columbia. And honestly, most people didn't know. If I said Vancouver, what province is it in? They'd probably say Toronto. A lot of them did. And that's the truth. Now, I know it doesn't speak for all Americans, and it wasn't their particular fault at the time because they just didn't learn about it. I believe that all comes in first or second year university, should you choose to take those courses. And, you know, they knew what Canada was, but it wasn't. I figured, you know, there's 10 provinces where we're connected here. We have to learn the 50 states. But again, it's not on them. And that was just my experience in Washington. I'm going to lose a lot of listeners here today. Who knows? Maybe, you know, there's 50 states. And although it's all under the umbrella of the United States, it does really differ. I think more so than province to province, even though there are a lot of big differences province to province, there, of course there's going to be. Both countries are huge too. 
and, and I'm not talking population. Canada's massive in geography, but the United States kind of both. For those that are curious, Canada's bigger than the United States, but we got a lot of land that we don't even, you know, most people in Canada live in the very, 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 very southern parts of Canada. Even in Newfoundland, right? The population's in St. John's, but we have a huge province. It takes 14 hours just to drive across it, and you're not even counting Labrador, right? The United States is so diverse with so many different opinions and so many different cultures. Really, and I mean that within people say, well, the United States is a culture in itself. Maybe. And there's patriotism and everything, and I'm really, really look up to that now. They were really, when I say they were, you know, what's the word, like national-centric or, you know, like I said, I graduated with smart people that didn't know Toronto was in Ontario. They knew the cities. They, they knew Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, maybe Edmonton, maybe Winnipeg, Calgary. It started to get dicey there. If I said Charlottetown, they wouldn't have a clue what I was talking about, but you know, the major cities, but does, do you learn that or is it just osmosis, you know, being talked about? Those are major cities on, in, in the world, let alone Canada. I'm really rambling. But because uh, I feel bad, I think, with what I said at first. You know, it almost made it seem like they were ignorant. They weren't. And uh, there were certain subjects that, you know, they... I remember learning a lot about the military and not in a, not in a like, let's all go to war sense, but uh, you learn about the wars that they'd been in. And uh, it was just mostly focused on the United States, right? You didn't learn much about the rest of the world. That's just it. Maybe the system's changed. I'm talking about the 1990s for fuck's sakes. I'm a dinosaur. In any case, people ask me about Crazy Horse and the Battle of Sitting Bull uh, and, and, and Custer and, and General Custer's last stand. This is a huge story in American history. I remember covering this. But so the way I understand it, I'm, I'm addressing like 20 emails here I got at once, okay, or DMs or whatever. So the place I'm going to is Rapid City. So it's close to Mount Rushmore. It's in the Black Hills of South Dakota, where a lot of the indigenous people lived at the time. They didn't have it separated like we do like Montana, South Dakota, Idaho, Washington, right? That, so first of all, that's a construct of what came after. Americans that took it over, right? At the time, I believe it was just all, I know that, what were the tribes? I could look this up, but I like to test my mind. Uh, the Cheyenne, uh, the Sioux, so, right? There was different tribes there. The Plains Indians, they were called can't use that word anymore but that's what i learned in school the plains indians and uh crazy horse the memorial is in south dakota where i'm going i believe but you know that was their territory so there's a lot of that kind of history it's not just south dakota it would be montana you know i'm thinking i'm guessing north dakota um uh, what's that way? Idaho, right? And then you get into Washington, uh, Wyoming. There's even parts of Utah. I mean, the United States is huge. So 
I'm not familiar with every single thing that happened. I know that Crazy Horse is a major figure. And Crazy Horse Custer, when in general, Custer kind of took it for granted. The Battle of Sitting Bull, at least, in 1876, I believe. I could look all this up, but I encourage you to do it. It's an interesting part of American and world history. Um, and uh, Crazy Horse brought, like the way I understand it, unexpectedly, like thousands or or maybe hundreds, but I, I believe a lot of different warriors in kind of got everybody together and they, they ended up surprising Custer. And that's why they call it the battle of sitting bull is called Custer's last stand by a lot of people uh, because he took it all for granted. There's famous quotes, stories. I'm sure Ken Burns has some kind of documentary on it. So anyway, right. I'm, I'm not going to Montana itself, but I'm going to the Crazy Horse Museum, which sits outside of Rapid City. Mount Rushmore is its own thing. I forget, but it's a, it's a, do you call that an artist or a sculptist? Uh, an artist, a sculpt. I don't know. So the, the word's probably right there. There's probably thousands of people laughing at me right now, but what do you call it? Someone who sculpts is a, I look this up. Sculptor. Someone who sculpts. Yeah. A sculptor. Someone who sculpts is called a sculptor. This. <laughs> Am I just, does that just sound funny? Ever say a word and it sounds funny? And you're just like, I can't believe that we even call it that. The other day, the word cork came up. And I just kept saying it, cork, cork, cork. It's kind of funny, if you didn't know what it meant. Am I just, yeah, sculptor, I guess, yeah. So a sculptor. Might as well look it up now. Might as well look it up. Let's see. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Okay, let's see. Just want to see what this guy's name is. You'd think it would be right there. Okay. Sculpted in 1941. 41 I thought that was I thought that was done in like I don't know 1920 I suppose not that far uh, 1941 by Gutson Borglum and his son Lincoln 60 foot high okay actually okay 60 feet's about six stories yeah makes sense um, and it's George Washington Thomas Jefferson Theodore Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln and it also has museums and apparently there's a 20 like there's you can buy a you know with headphones and like a kind of an iPod kind of guide there to to take you along and there's 20 stops or so that's kind of why I'm going in a day early I'm going to I'm going to look at that and check it out but anyway just to give you an idea cuz I had a bunch of emails uh, about Custer's last stand and crazy horse and Mount Rushmore and I'm going to do what I can and, and check all that out while not, like I said, 
part of what, what I just mentioned happened in Montana. But also, Wild Bill Hickok. Like, I'm big into, um, you know, the Wild West because I was force-fed it growing up. My dad's big into it. But anyway, that's, there's a bar there, and Bill, Wild Bill Hickok got shot from behind, and he was holding aces and eights. He had a full house, three aces and two eights, right? So that's why the, that's why they call aces over eights dead man's hand, for those that didn't know that already. Um, I thought it was kind of common knowledge, but maybe not. Maybe you got to, you know, my dad has all these, but what I think is common knowledge probably isn't because he's got at least a dozen books on the go at a time. He doesn't read any fiction whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. So my dad has read, oh God, oh God, I have thousands of books for sure. He has. He usually has, yeah, a dozen next to his bed, and he reads a chapter out of each one each night usually. <coughs> you know, he's or he goes out back in the summer, and like, he sits in the sun, and I always post videos and laugh, but he's, he's reading. Like, he's just, and I ask him what he's doing. He's like gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge, just all the time. So if you read all that much and none of it is fiction whatsoever, he wouldn't, he's never, the only way he knows who Stephen King is is from seeing him on TV or watching one of his movies um, with the books that got adapted into a movie. And I mean that he, he, the guy reads a ton. So I always had a great library uh, of options growing up for school projects or even just for interest. Again, with no internet. Yes. People used to read. I used to look forward to it. Um, I guess now we read is just, a lot of time for the wrong reasons and a lot of material that doesn't matter. But anyway, anyway, that's my opinion. Um, so, you know, and he's into the Wild West and he's into history. So these books were always there. Like I said, dad, dad and mom would have me. They didn't like sit there and, you know, like get upset or spank me if I didn't or anything. But they would highly encourage and I wasn't a hard kid to get along with. No brothers and sisters either. They were highly, highly encouraged reading and writing at least 10 minutes a night, which usually turned into half hour an hour. That's why I had these journals and everything. Um, you know, and it wasn't always books or anything. It was like Rolling Stone magazine, Entertainment Weekly, um, fucking newsletter. It didn't really matter. Their opinion was that I couldn't lose by reading. Uh, it didn't have to be educational it didn't have to be force fed but as long as i read so i would go down and peruse his library and uh i would you know the beatles stood out rock and roll stood out okay so it wasn't just the beatles but a lot of people know i'm into the beatles well i had this whole section just a a all the albums but b this whole section um of the house not not of a room of the house was books, books, books. And most of those books were on either serial killers, uh, the Wild West, some history to some extent, a lot of it Roman history. But, you know, I learned about Genghis Khan, uh, the Mongolian warrior of like the 11, 1200s and the Ming dynasty. I learned about uh, the Black Death, the plague. I learned about a lot of different thinkers and philosophers. And this was just growing up kind of in time before I went to bed and really not that much 
10 to 15 minutes and not every night. But if you take all those years and all that reading into account, it's no wonder that I kind of gravitated towards it in school, right? Again, not that you asked, but um, when I went to school, people were like, how did, what's your folklore and English degree? What the hell? But the folklore, folklore, a lot of that is you're, you're studying like traditions and, and cultures from around the world and, you know, story, like everything's kind of folklore. So you're, you're doing a lot of history and anthropology while you're doing anthropology is the study of people think anthropology is bones and stuff, skeletons that, you know, studying that in Egypt and most, most of that is archaeology, digging up old bodies. So anthropology is like, how do I explain it? The way I take it is the history of like how we deal with each other, like social, social situations, social, the social history of humans and, and why we different, why we communicate. I mean, it really borders on history and behavior, right? So everything dad had there. So when I went into school, if I'm going to take a course there on American history, right? That could kind of be, because some of those would transfer over into the folklore category. So when I went in, I, I mean, I just went in and took courses randomly because I had a chance to do it. That was 2009. I had a lot of my schooling paid for. I said, you know, I might as well take advantage of this while I can. But while I'm in there, if I see courses and I want to get credits and one is on American history and one is on the history of popular music, and you know, some are on superstitions in sports, superstitions. It's a big topic in folklore a lot of the time. So like, you know what I mean? So <clears throat> no wonder I had decent marks because I was taking courses of things that I already read. If, I, if I'd done that when I was 20, I don't know that I would have had the, well, first of all, I wouldn't have had all the knowledge because a lot of it I, I read growing up, but you know, I continued that as I got older. So each year, I think all of us get a little bit smarter. You, you, I guess that's probably not true, but a lot of people, each year we learn a lot. Whether we want to admit it or use it or apply it is one thing, but we do. So the older you get, I, I believe, if you just pay attention and just gather information, you're going to get a bit smarter. So by the time I went back to school, I was 32 years old. I went back. and. A lot of the courses I did, you know, I had some kind of a knowledge going in. So it's a lot it, it's a lot easier to go through school like that. And and you tend, I mean, to, uh, to get better marks than if I just went in and I took like chemistry or physics or, you know, anything biology, these the sciences that I didn't know much about, you know, I wasn't going to succeed there. So I never fucking took any. I didn't do any math either. I just went right through and took all those courses. As a matter of fact, at the very end, I had to take a quick, I had to take like a, like a math course in like I did in one test just to get my degree because I wanted to be a teacher. That's what I was going to be at first. Again, my dad's a teacher, but kind of works with hockey because I was working with kids a lot um, the hours and the, the, the times of the even year right you kind of follows the hockey season a uh, 
school year, you know, you get the summers off, Easter, Christmas kind of thing. Um, and I enjoy that. I was going to work with grades four to six. I enjoy that group at hockey schools. <clears throat> They're very, right before they get a bit of a fucking attitude and a bit of an ego, you know, I mean, and and after they're kind of like if they're real young, you're just kind of hoping they stand up out there, right? And and you're trying to just communicate. But I like the, the 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 four to six group. They they get it. They're they're fun for the most part. And uh, you know when I not that I'm a teacher, but when I coach or I try to teach Penny Lane or something, or you know you. There's times that you need to teach younger people and you're not necessarily a teacher when it comes to coaching sports, you know, and, and maybe giving them, it's not just what happens on the floor or on the ice, but, but off, whether you're uh, doing uh, a lot of times at hockey schools, you know, a lot of what we do when I work with Wally Bray is chalk talk and we'll, a lot of it's off the ice. So there are times that I come across kids and try to, get them to work towards a goal and I find at least that age group a bit they're receptive it's not easy because they're all over the place they're a bunch of pepper pots but and they get a kick out of the whole you know I show them a hockey card the whole Montreal thing that still means something you know not that I need my ego stroked when I got a bunch of kids around but it helps keep them in line you know like they come in and they just see a picture of you in a, in a Montreal Canadiens jersey then you know what something happened. Like I'm in here for a reason. I'm in the hockey school for a reason. And this guy must've been my age. That's the way humans go. We grow older. He must've been my age and he must've been at these schools. If I do what he says, maybe I can wear that. You know, there's, there's that level of kind of indirect respect from that age group. Anyway, fuck do I ramble? Don't know why I still have so many listeners that are interested in just the everyday dealings of someone who rambles so much, uh, but I guess there are stories. So um, that's the part of the story of me getting my degree. And the other thing, I was in there, I was trying to come up with the book. I didn't know where I was going to go with Tales of a First Round Nothing. The idea was still kind of coming together, but I had all the journals. and So English really helped me kind of, and so did folklore because folklore a lot of it is storytelling right and i that was kind of the area of that i zoned in on you, you there's so many course options so for those that don't know i needed 40 credits so 40 courses i needed right for my arts degree my bachelor of arts you need 12 i believe i believe it could be 16. It's either 16 or 12 courses for your major and then either 12 or 10 for your minor, right? So I had a, I had a double major in English and folklore, though I only, and you got to apply and all that. But so technically my degree is a major in folklore and a minor in English. I didn't even realize I had a double major. I was just in there taking random courses. So that's what happened. So then there's there's always 10 or 12 courses left over, right? And those are when people say general studies. So of the 40 courses, like I said, 24 or 30 are specific to what you're doing. And then the rest are general studies. So even my general studies courses always ended up, it's not like I went, oh, let's learn about rocket science or, or chemistry. I just went right to, 
either psychology or history or geography, right? And so it all comes together for me because that's what I learned growing up. I'm not going to say I was force-fed any one thing. My parents weren't, for lack of a better word, slave drivers. They weren't authoritarian. They weren't cracking a whip on me. But I was an only child with literally a wall full of albums, 3,000 albums to look at and play and gain knowledge from, and a whole room close to those album f- albums full of books. And I know I'm rambling, but I often say to Penny, and I'm glad my parents did that because they didn't, if they had force fed me, say, like the history, like, like history books, I probably would have taken it as a teacher and I would have, I would have, it would have hurt, not hurt, it, 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 yeah, it would have given me a fucking headache, right? If I'd looked at it as work, like if I'd come home from hockey and went out and I'm shooting in the driveway, clearly I'm making myself better. I mean, growing up with a ball or whatever, right? I'd come home and just keep shooting on the net, shoot, 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 like a pitcher who just pitches, pitches, pitches all day. I didn't consider that practice. If you had told me it was practice, I probably would have had a different opinion. I probably would have looked at it like work, but I didn't. Well, the same thing with the reading. My parents were so laid back about it. But there was all books all around. And it's not like dad said, here, read about this. This is the fucking biography of Julius Caesar. And when you're at the end, I want you to write me a report on it. It wasn't like that. But in the Rolling Stone magazine, they might have an article about something that just got discovered in Rome, in the Roman ruins, close to the, I don't know, the Colosseum or the Parthenon or something like that, right? So then I would read about it. It'd be interesting. But while I'm reading it, there I'm learning my history indirectly. So that's what I'm talking about. So when I went into school, a lot of those things were, uh, a lot of the courses I was taking, I had a familiarity with. So that's kind of why I went for it. And uh, anyway. And I do get that question. So there, whoever asked. I didn't write it down, but I do that get that question quite frequently. NFL Sundays are only getting better, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, and point totals. With bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NFL. So, what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code THPN, and place a $5 pre-game Moneyline bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Again, that's promo code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Listen, a lot of people are weighing in on this Mitchell Miller thing, so I'll give my two cents, okay? Now, Mitchell Miller, for those that don't know, the Bruins had signed him, and when he was 14, he committed some despicable acts. So it was... Racism, it was ignorance, it was 
bullying. It was it was everything. So apparently, again, this is a really loose definition, but if I'm going to give my opinion, I want to at least give you an idea of the way I understand it, okay? So Sorry, my phone just... Um, so, Mitchell Miller. So when he was 14, and I, I mean at least 14, there was probably other instances because this was an ongoing thing. Apparently him, not only him, but he was the central figure, a central figure, heavily bullied a kid. I think it was a black kid. I'm not sure. But there was a race to it, and I, I'm not, I didn't even get that deep into it because... It disgusts me, and maybe that's why my 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 opinion at first, though I didn't be, go public with it. But to be quite honest with you, I was a bit ignorant to it because I said, "Well, I mean, he's 14 years old." Now, what he did, he, it was it was ongoing bullying, and including I think what was the straw that broke the camel's back, at least what it sounds like to me, is that he he rubbed some food, a muffin, I think, something like that across a urinal uh, a bunch of times and then the kid that they were he was bullying ate it okay so it was acts like that then this is i mean fuck man i lived in the age of bullying uh like uh, the chris rock act on, on bullying i kind of identify with because that's the way it was a lot of people bullied i didn't consider anything meant now a lot of bullying is mental i didn't even consider that at the time it was like physical beatings and I had a big fucking mouth. I didn't like bullies, so I fought a lot of bullies. Every fight I got into growing up, and there were a lot of them. If everybody's listening from Mount Pearl who knows me, any of my buddies, they know that this is true as fucking God. <clears throat> That's a bad way to put it. This is, this is, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I just, the fights I got in, I, I mean, I, I'd say it over and over. I, I was an only child. I looked at it like my friends were my brothers. I think it's why I fought a lot in hockey uh, outside of, you know, other obvious reasons. But, you know, I would always like to stand up for my teammates. Growing up, it was the same thing. I didn't have the love and affection or advantage of being able to talk to or lean on a brother or sister. Not even close either because the part of Mount Pearl I lived in, none of the kids my age lived in. The school I went to, none of the guys on my hockey team went to. I was very much felt like a bit of a loner, not a loner. I felt alone. Okay. A lot of the time. And so when I made friends and to this day, maybe it's still subconscious, but they were real close to me. And we, we, we you know, we spent every day together, everything else. And if someone bullied them or me in school, I would be the one to throw hands. That was just it. And I took a lot of punches in the face growing up. Um, Am I am I comparing it? Fuck no. Jesus no. What I'm saying is that I never heard of a level of bullying so bad that you're going to rub a muffin over a fucking urinal? What is that? That's like fucking physical and mental and horrific and fucking ghastly, dreadful, awful shit all rolled up in one. You must fucking hate somebody to do that. Right? My idea of a bully was, fuck, I can name some of the men. They wouldn't mind. Frank Reese, Frank Chalk, people out there. There you go. There's a couple names. You remember my fights with those guys in Mount Pearl. A couple years older than me, a bit bigger at the time. Right? That 
real tough too. They were tough guys. I'm not saying that I, I, I won these fights, but you know, I fought back. Uh, it was more than that. That's two that I remember from school, but there was a lot. There was, and I was the biggest kid on my hockey team. So we'd go say to Thomas amusements, the local fair, right? When your girl, a teddy bear or something, I'll always get popped in the head. It was always, but I, I'd run my mouth too, back to the bullies, but never was I on the bullying side of it. And of the worst bullies that I saw that would fucking crack your head open as soon as look at you would fucking kick the shit out of you after school. No fucking questions asked just for a tap on the shoulder, man. They'd no problem. Hey Frank, can you beat this guy up? No shit. No problem. Terry, that kind of stuff. Now I know what that sounded like. That took me to a memory. Not that I ever asked anybody, but those guys that I mentioned afterwards and Frank, you know, I'm going to a small story within a story because that's what I'm doing. But one of those guys, Frank Reese. So Frank Reese, and again, I was moved up a grade. And it was, I went to Mary Queen of the World. So we're in grade eight. So I guess I was age, my age was grade, I was 12 or 13. I was grade seven age. I was in grade eight. Frank had, had failed a grade. So he was supposed to be in grade nine. So it was two years between us. I was big for my age, but scrawny. And he was pretty, I mean, Frank looked 30 then, you know, he had a rough look. He wore that leather jacket. He liked Metallica. He came in. He had stubble. And he just came right over one recess. Just This is recess. Now, again, I'm wearing a chip and pepper. I was prepped like deck shoes. Kind of like now. You know how it's cyclical? Well, right now, like that preppy look, that was kind of around. It was a bit risque, though, but in my school, but it was kind of around in the 90s. So I had this chip and pepper shirt on. It was acid wash. I had like a bit of blonde streaks in my hair. Acid wash jeans on, rolled up, pinch rolled with deck shoes. And there was starting to be articles about me playing hockey. And again, if I'd, there was, most of my hockey friends went to St. Peter's or Mount Pearl Junior High, right? Mount Pearl Blades. And that was a big thing in Mount Pearl. You got your Blades jacket, right? And out there, they outnumbered everybody else. So most of my friends say we're at St. Peter's or Mount Pearl Junior High, meaning of all, and I don't even mean the people on my age group level Blades team, even the, the, the B team or the C team, there was none in Mary Queen of the World, like four people in the whole school. So like I'd come in with my Blades jacket on and people didn't like that. And the school I went to was also like kind of the school of hard knocks if there was if you took all the schools at Mount Pearl, ours was definitely had the most hoodlums, had the most fights, the most like guys were robbing. I remember we're next to a Sobeys, which is a grocery store. We we're across the street from Sobeys. And at the time it was movie theaters and everything it was a big kind of kind of a mini mall, kind of a mall. But anyway, they were unloading from one of the trucks. I think it was a Coca-Cola truck. We're in grade seven, okay? And Mike Bradbury and I think Jason Fitzgerald just drove away in it. So while they were unloading it, the boys got in, the keys were still in, and drove it away and got caught at the fucking crosswords up by the overpass. This was grade seven. Um, fighting teachers, I saw that with my own eyes. Um, I could say some stuff that you wouldn't believe they would require their own podcast. Crazy, crazy stuff. And uh, anyway, Frank came over. 
and he leaned on his elbow and he looked at me. You know what I mean? When someone like he just he put his elbow on my desk, I was eating my lunch, whatever it was, or my recess, talking to Mike Byrne, Paul Carey, Sean Pollard, whatever we were talking about, four preps in the corner talking about prep jocks too, like about volleyball or some shit. And those guys didn't like that. And like I said, we were outnumbered. Athletes were outnumbered in my school. And he put his elbow down and, and, and his face rested on his fist. And he said, I don't like you. And I said, I don't like you either. What do you, and as I was saying, where are we going to go from here or whatever, I, as I was opening my fat mouth, he punched me right in the mouth and fucking my, started bleeding all over the day, like leaking big time. Actually punched me in the nose because my, my nose was just, and my teacher was just like, okay. She came down with some, who was it? What was her name? Miss Kareen, I think. She came down with tissues and, okay, you got to go to the office. Frank, that wasn't very nice. And they had to get someone to come in, and I'm like, Frank, that wasn't very nice. Miss, he just punched me right in the fucking face. Anyway, same thing. That day, I went out, and as soon as I got outside, man, Frank popped me in the head again. And I don't remember. I remember I went to go back at him, and that was enough. Finally, I went to go back at him, and uh, nothing much happened. But his buddy, Eddie Jordan, who was another nut, who I'm actually friends with again now, but... Eddie, fuck yeah, he came out and did the same thing. Finally, I had enough, and we got in a huge fight. Huge fight, like that lasted a while. But after a while, you get those guys' respect. And, you know, something must be, I don't know, but a lot of the time, there's something else on these people's minds. I mean, you don't know what's going on. So I can't remember, but I think Frank it was a, had someone else. It was something else on his mind, whether it was, I can't remember. It was a girl or some guy bullying him or some shit. But anyway... So we had to talk about it, and we ended up convincing Frank to come because he was a big dude and playing our volleyball team, and he he was great at volleyball. Honestly, it could be a, a sitcom the way it all went down. Frank was like the biggest, meanest, like kind of like listen to the words of Bad Leroy Brown by uh, by Jim Crochet. It was kind of like that, you know, big bad Frank Reese, big bad Leroy Brown comes in. You expect this big tough guy, right? This big tough act. And uh, Frankie was just great, just great, awesome person, ended up being buddies, came by the house a few times, and was our best volleyball player. Go figure. I'd love to see Frank now and ask him if he ever went on. And <coughs> I'm sure he didn't. Who goes on to play volleyball? But that was a bit of fun and uh, taught me that you don't need your fist to solve a problem, even though it didn't actually teach me. It didn't teach me, but... It did show me that there are ways to solve things without your fists and uh, taught me that I guess that's an option, but it's not like I never got in any fights after that, is there? Anyway, you asked me, fuck, man, I ramble. Mitchell Miller, you're asked, I had a few people ask me this about what I think about Mitchell Miller. Listen, going back to it, so now there's my bullying two cents. And I think it's 14. I think people deserve a second chance. I was looking at it going, are you kidding me? He was 14. What's he supposed to, you know, go down? Is he supposed to be, what's the word, repressed his whole life? Is he supposed to be held back his whole life from jobs, from opportunities? Because if something happened when he was 14, okay, that was my thought at first. Then I saw the Bruins be interviewed. And I went, my God, I, I don't know if I've ever seen, ever in my life, a team speak out against a GM and or 
wasn't just the GM, of, of course, a, a team, the president, GM, like a team's upper management. I've never seen players to a player come out against it. And I'm like, man, you guys got to have an open mind. And then I started to think, you know what? They've probably met him or they know people that played with and against him. I'm removed. The kid's 20 years old, right? So he's been playing. If he was some hugely reformed, I think someone would say it. He had a great year in the USHL last year. So he must have teammates out there. He apparently didn't contact the victims. What was the, if that happened to you when you were 14? If I, if someone told me now, there was once, I'll say it, there was a guy, Chris, uh, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't say his last name on here. And, uh, you know how you'd like wrestle and, you know, it, it started innocent enough. I remember in, in, in lunch and stuff, we'd all be wrestling and stuff. And, and then it turned out, you know, you grow. And, and after a couple of years, you know, I, I grew a little bit bigger than Chris and we would, and he would always respond like he was having fun. And I realized one day he wasn't. And his mom phoned my mom. And that really woke me up, man. I was like, man, I'm a fucking, I'm a no, uh, you know, I, I was essentially bullying him. I was. It was unaware of it. I, I Sorry, I was unaware of it. He was aware of it. And it really made him feel bad. And, man, I felt horrible. I went right up to his house. I knocked down the door. Oh, man, I apologized. Apologized to him, his parents. They didn't take it well at first, but over the next over the next few months, man, Chris became a friend, walked home with him a few times from school, stuff like that. But that's just a regular person. What would you do if you found out that, you know, when you were 14, that you impacted someone that much? I mean, it's not like it was a fucking secret and rubbing food on urinals like an asshole. But still, this many years later, if you don't have it in you to go back and, and really, I even read the statements they seemed to put on. And the people that in and around Mitchell... Miller's life have a better than I a idea than I do. And when Cam Neely's up there on the screen, you know, walking back a decision and explaining it the way he did, if you want, I can't, I don't want to paraphrase, paraphrase for Cam Neely, go back and look at it yourselves if you want. But if, yeah, I mean, if Cam Neely, who I looked up to my whole life as a player, I wanted to be like Cam Neely. A lot of my draft interviews, you know, it was it was Rick Tockett, it was Chris Nyland, it was Cam Neely. Those were the players I looked up to. Cam Neely and Chris Nyland, it was because he was a Montreal Canadian. I, I, I like the fact he dropped his gloves and he got 20 goals. And, you know, he was, to me, a great... I love it. It was exciting to watch, but I never heard him interviewed a lot. Whereas... O'Reilly, or sorry, Terry, or, Terry O'Reilly, very similar as well. Cam Neely was seemed to always be in the spotlight, and whether it was because he dealt with a lot of injuries, he also so scored 50 goals, got a lot of fights. So it seemed that he was always in front of the camera, and I enjoyed listening to him. It's one of these guys, I met him a couple times, and, you know, when you meet your hero, they often say, you know, it disappoints you, but it didn't in his case, or one of your heroes. And when I saw him, what I'm trying to say is that it's a man I looked up to, a, a man I look up to, a man with integrity. And if he's going to walk it back and everybody around the situation says it stinks, then I just don't believe Mitchell Miller. Keep on to say Mitchell Murray. I don't want to, I, I, I don't think he's reformed. 
if people that are seeing him and playing with him and dealing with him and know him and know his history, if he's not too far separated from the guy he was when he was 14, then I can hold it against him. So don't get me wrong. In the vast majority of cases, I would never, ever hold a 14-year-old accountable this many years later. Well, I guess I would, but he would have a chance or her would have a chance to redeem themselves, of course. Right? So on the surface, yes. But that person has to show signs of maturing, has to at least at least show respect to the victims. My Jesus. When I say victims, I'm saying because his parents, his family, his friends, whoever, whoever was affected by the bullying is a victim. Of course, the one being bullied is the biggest victim. But, you know, and I, I often, I'm on record, I think the term bullied, bullying is overused now. I think a lot of kids get, a lot of people that think they're being bullied got to grow some sack and fucking wake up. Life will eat you up, man. It's tough. It'll spit you out. But in this case, that's twisted. It's bullying. It's twisted. It's fucking gross. And if this guy doesn't seem genuine, then fucking get rid of him and don't touch him with a fucking 10-mile pole. Fuck him. So that's where I stand right now. Now, ask me in five years. I don't know. I guess it depends on how this guy wants to improve his life. I mean, it depends on how much compassion and how fucking sincere. You don't learn that easy. So I don't know. This guy's got to take some accountability, of course, and not for his own. I think anything he's done to this point, saying sorry, public apology, whatever, it seems to me it's put on for his own personal benefit. So I don't know. What does that take? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But uh, I know it doesn't take a pro contract. So fuck him and the horse he rode in on. Uh, Jim Rutherford, I got some questions about the comments. Oh, and uh, a lot of people giving me shit because Winnipeg are doing better than people. Then, you know, I think I had Winnipeg in last, didn't I? For the Canadian teams. Yeah, they're doing great. And I'm happy they're doing great. I had to pick an order of seven teams and I put them last because there was chaos going on in their dressing room and we're still only 12 or 13 games in. But they're doing great and I want to see a Canadian team win the cup. I just do. It's been a long time. And uh, I put them in order of what I saw. And by the way, the year's not over. Uh, and Vancouver, are, I, I think I had them sixth or fifth. Or, I don't think I had them high up there, but oh, my God. That's a disgrace. Um, and, uh, you know, I like Boost Brudrow. I don't know. I, I, I kind of like Jim Rutherford. But. Yeah, I mean, it's cause for alarm, I guess. I'm just referring to the comments that Rutherford made. You know, he's, he's, he's calling out systems and training camp and those things. There's clearly a spotlight on the coaches, right? I, what do I think of it? I don't know. I think it's just part of their mess. It's part of the tire fire that they're involved in. I don't think there's an easy answer. Bruce Boudreaux seems like a great guy and a great coach. Who else are you going to bring in better? And you just hired him last year to come in, and he did a great job when he first did. Uh, 
you know, are you, are you just putting out a small fire in a series of big ones? I, I don't know. Um, I, and I don't know. And Peterson's one of the most talented guys in the league. Some games. He's one of the most interesting and intriguing players to watch of all time for me on some days. On others, he looks like a bantam player playing a midget game. I don't know. (laughs) And others, he looks like a ballerina at a circus. I mean, I I mean it. He just doesn't seem involved. Uh, He doesn't seem interested. That could be a problem. Um, Everything they've said in the media puts a spotlight. Guys like Miller, who are seem to be at least consistently working hard, have said some things to piss off the fans. There's no easy answer. And Rutherford just called out the whole coaching staff for like the third time in a month. So, I mean, I don't know. What would I do? I, I don't know. I feel like a hypocrite to say it because I don't know. It'd have to be on the inside. It'd have to be out there. There's more to it. Obviously, the coach, the GM, the president, they talk more than you think. They talk more than we do about it. You know, they're on the inside. They know better than I do in this situation. Um, if it was literally, if you're asking me, if if I had a gun to my head and I had to make a decision right now for Bruce Brudrow and, and just for his stress level, for the fans, for I would, I would just, again, I don't think it's going to solve anything. But uh, I, 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 if I was, if I was, see, I look at it, I would want out if I was Boudreau. Um, I don't know why coaches want to do it in the first place anyway. So I'm not looking at it from his lens, obviously, because he took the job. But if I could sit and make good money on a panel somewhere or scouting and panel, there's all kinds of things you could do. Why put yourself in that? You know, I've often said it. If you want to get into it, coaching, although he's older, if I wanted to now, my daughter would have to live all over the world which can be a good thing, but to just up and leave and, you know, it's hard, can be hard on them. Uh, you know, you're never really secure. Are you going to be, if you're five years somewhere, that's good, right? Look at every coach in every league that you know of. So if you get into coaching, you know that you're going to, again, some people want to and look forward to the excitement. I like having a home base. I like my daughter being, otherwise I wouldn't, I mean, like I said, her mom lives in Calgary. I could have moved. And she would have had to come. She would have had no choice. In my case, I would have moved to Toronto, I guess. Um, that was where my, you know, my, my best options would have been. Um, but it wasn't really in the cards. You know, I like to have a home base. I like Penny Lane to have structure and, and to have grow up with her friends, um, go through all those ups and downs. Nothing's going to be perfect, but I just didn't want to. And for, I, I, I personally don't, if Penny Lane didn't exist, I personally don't want to travel all over the world. And I, I do want to travel, but I, I don't want to live a insecure because I'm always a few games away from being fired and B relying on 20 hockey players. Just kind of direct my fate. You know, I, and I, I, it's not desirable to me. This is great. I'm still involved in the game, although I'm not talking much hockey here today, am I? A little bit. Uh, you know, I'm still involved in the game here, but uh, kind of can do it from afar. I can take my computer and open it anywhere. I'll do my next podcast from Rapid City. So lastly, there you go. Lastly, 
point is, yeah, they're in a they're in a hard position. Um, and it's a bunch of people I respect. I like Jim Rutherford and I like Bruce Boudreaux. I just I, I don't think the team's deep enough. I don't think they've got the defense for it, and their best players don't seem engaged a lot of the time. Now they've got a few injuries, and when those guys get back, uh, you know, I got Besser in my pool. I, 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 I like the way he plays. As a group, they don't seem like a bad group. I don't have a problem with any attitudes or anything. I just mean Pedersen, when he's out there, often looks unengaged, but he seems like a, you know, he seems like a, decent teammate when I see him interviewed and I see other people talk about him again I don't know and um, you know it's just they've got to make a major change uh, major change my my guest next guest so 128B is going to be John Nasty Morasty I'm looking forward to that Nasty Morasty so and I don't want to go through I, I there's all kinds of people I was going to have him out a few months ago, so I got there's a bunch of people that had questions for him. I want to ask him those, so I'm not going to go through his career in chronological order as I often do. Um, he's one of the toughest players ever to not play in the NHL. Um, he's one of the toughest players ever anyway. I think people could say that. I think they could. And nasty was just, I mean, a toe to toe. I mean, there's a reason he's one of the gyms in Shorzy for those that don't know. And there's a reason. I mean, they went out and got him because, you know, it's a feather in your hat to have John Morasti. If you're going to do a show about hockey and part of it's on fighting, you you want to get John Nasty Morasti. So, and had, had he been 20 years younger, I think he would have had a regular spot in the NHL. There was still tough guys when he was coming in or he wouldn't have been successful because he played in the East Coast League, worked his way up to the American Hockey League and was a big-time enforcer in the American Hockey League. number of years played, um, and uh, then he went over and made some good money and uh, had some good stories from playing over in the KHL overseas in the Russian League. And, uh, you know, still sought after. I saw he played a game in Binghamton there a few days ago in the Federal League. I can't wait to ask him about that. But one of the, uh, yeah, just a real, real tough player, um, interesting personality. And he also played in the Western League. He played in Tri-Cities for half a year, I believe. Um, and, you know, like I said, man, he came in an era of a lot of guys. Uh, although fighting is still in the game, the the quote-unquote tough guy, I hate to use the word goon, but the quote-unquote tough guy, that role, that the, the, the stereotypical tough guy that you think of when you say the words, um, that's pretty much gone from the game and nasty. What's nasty now? Late thirties, probably 40. Um, so, you know, in his prime being 10 years ago, probably it was, they just, there was less of those roles than ever. And you still had guys up in the show, like, you know, like uh, I think, you know, John Scott and, and Jody Shelley. And, you know, I could go down the list. There was, and they still exist, Ryan Reeves, Lucic, there's guys out there. But, you know, the last bunch of years, there was one guy a team, and they tended to be nasty's fucking jacked, but he's not tall. John Scott, I think, is like 6'8". Uh, Derek Bugard, it was the end of his era, God rest his soul. Uh, I say God a lot for someone that's not a religious. Uh, but I... Um, I should say rest in peace, I guess. But anyway, you know, those kind of guys. Uh, Colton Orr, you know, guys like that. 
You know, there was one spot maybe per team. In my era, there was a few. And uh, anyway, I won't say Nasty came in at the wrong time because he still came in and he made a good living. I mean, he fucking owns a Tim Hortons now. He's got a spot in the States. He lives back and forth, got a great family uh, between Saskatchewan and uh, California. He's carved out a great life for himself. So I won't say that he came in in the wrong era. I just think slightly earlier, I think he would have got NHL games out of it. You know what I mean? But anyway, probably the two biggest guys, the legends that I know that haven't played in the NHL would be Frank the Animal by Lois and John Nasty Morasty. There's all kinds out there. Uh, but anyway, Nasty's, we're going to talk about his fights, his career, his decisions, his family. Shorzy, you know, we're hopefully going to go back soon for season two, I hear. Hopefully, I don't think anything's official yet, but it looks real good. But anyway, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to have Nasty on, so tune in for that. I'm probably going to have to do the interview from South Dakota, but uh, it'll be up on Friday, I would think. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of... Uh, a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably know who he is already. If not, go back, just type in Nasty Morasty or John Morasty on Google, YouTube, and check out some of his fights. They're honestly otherworldly. If you think that I fight straight up and I like going toe-to-toe, which I do, then <laughs> wait till you see this, okay? This is... Uh, a complete adventure watching his top fights, um, watching all of his fights. But anyway, that's it. And Nasty's, uh, I think he's, he's he's involved too. He's always involved off the ice in something. And I believe now he's up for uh, band. It's kind of, I don't know, like city council in Mount Pearl. I believe on, uh, in the indigenous community he lives on uh, reserve. We'll get all the answers from him. But same sort of thing. You can vote for who represents you on the band council and stuff, right? And he's heavily involved. Nasty's always involved in his community. He's hands-on. I respect that about him. We're different in a lot of ways, but we're similar in a lot of ways. And uh, isn't that pretty much everybody, you know? Isn't that pretty much everybody? Anyhow... I'll leave it there. I'm looking forward to Nasty Morasty. Thanks for tuning in to 128A, Tales with TR. If you're in Newfoundland, if you're in St. John's, listen, power conditioning. And I'm saying this because I'm going there now in an hour. I go three times a week now to Ryan Power, my guest a couple weeks ago. But listen, folks, it it's great in there. It's awesome. It's on Rope Walk Lane. Think of it. It's it, it's about it's it's the size. I don't know square footage. I'm an idiot like that. I my house. I could get, I don't know. I could take a guess, but I don't want to embarrass myself. It's like as as big as maybe a small good life. Um, it's usually, you know, a decent amount of space in there. He lets us put on our own tunes. Ryan's a great trainer, but the programs are very very to the point. I won't say short, but you're in there. You're working a lot. You know, but it's done in 45 minutes, and I really I enjoy that. And already, a lot of mobility, a lot of training. I hate going to the gym and just going squats, bench press, just these. Your your sedentary is that the word? Like you're, you know, you're just kind of static. You're static. Yeah, that's the word. 
and you're just kind of moving one part. I like to move a little bit. Boom. Here's this, this. Boom, boom, boom. 12, 10, 8. This exercise, this exercise, this exercise. Boom, 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 boom. Here's your core before and after. Bob's your uncle. You're done. Anyway, power conditioning for the body and mind. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, so much that I – it's not like he's paying me for advertising. I swear to you. I'm saying this because I love his program and uh, hockey players especially, but you don't have to be a hockey player. But anyway, for for those that want to know, I go there Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. There's openings. There's a lot of senior hockey players that go in at that time, but uh, he's open all day and there's all kinds of opportunities to go in and further yourself as a person, hence body and mind. Uh, so no matter your age, size, Check out Power Conditioning on Ropewalk Lane. I mean it. It is life-changing. I can't say that about everything I, I promote on here. But I can say if you're in St. John's and you want a beer and you're downtown, why not go to Trinity Pub? Why not go to Greensleeves? Why not go to TJ's, Rob Roy, or the Bull and Barrel? That's where I like to get my beers. If I'm going to go for a bite to eat, I like going to Merchant Tavern, Blue on Water, or Wedgwood Cafe. Why not? True Hockey takes what take what's yours. Folks, this has been episode 128A. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We'll be back in just a couple of days with the legend, John Nasty Morasty. Peace out. I'll catch you on the rebound. <laughs>